This morning we're going to be talking about suffering. Uh, the question is, how can a loving God allow so much suffering? Uh, this is a difficult, it's a difficult topic. Um, getting ready for this uh, this week was difficult. Um, not not always the the happiest topic to think about. Um, and uh, the way I want the way I want us to go about things this morning, it's going to be a little just a little bit different than it's been over the past few weeks, at least when I've taught. Um, I'm not going to be using a PowerPoint because the the flow of this talk I don't, I don't think suited a PowerPoint really well. Um, and I want to make sure there's time at the end for some discussion, for some Q and A, because a topic like suffering isn't something that can just be dealt with in a lecture classroom kind of setting, right? Uh, we all bring our own suffering, our own experiences to some to a topic like this. Um, and I'm sure that all of you have um, wisdom to bring, um, lessons that God has taught you. And so I want to make sure that we have some time at the end to, to talk about some of those things. Um, so before we get started, um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for how you've loved us. We thank you for how you've saved us. Lord, we thank you for the, the freedom we have to gather, to learn, um, and ultimately to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grapple with suffering um, over the next 45 minutes. I pray, Lord, that for those who are hurting in here, that they would be comforted. And Lord, for those who aren't suffering right now in this particular moment, that you would prepare us for times when suffering will come. Lord, we trust you. We know that you are good. I pray that you would root us deeply into your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I want to start off with a question um, like I often do. Uh, so our, our topic is, how can a loving God allow so much suffering? Has anyone ever been asked this question before? Yeah. What are, what are, what are some, how have you responded to a question like that in the past? Or what would you say to someone who's, um, looking at God and saying God is either not real or he's not good because they're suffering. What would you say to somebody who posed that question to you? Isn't that what we're paying money for you to answer? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no more. Yeah, so, so suffering comes from, from something, right? And that something is ultimately sin because, we, um, because sin has entered the world. We now live in a fallen world where suffering exists, um, right? I, it always amazes me how people immediately blame God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bible teaches us that, right? Um, the prince of the power of the air, he's ruling over this world right now. Um, and so while God is still in control over all things, we know that there is an enemy, an enemy who's trying to um, bring havoc to the world that we live in. Um, so that's a good point. Any other thoughts? 
Yes, Elizabeth. Yeah. That's a really tough question. So the the topic of suffering and God is we're not the first people to ask the, the question of why this exists. You can find book upon book, writing upon writing for hundreds and hundreds of years trying to answer the question, how does something like suffering exist in a world where God is sovereign, where God is real, where God is good, and where God gives free will to um, those of us who inhabit his earth? Um, so we're not going to be able to answer every single question today. Um, and I want to take a particular angle to this question today because I think it's a good entry point for a conversation um, about suffering and God. So the, uh, I kind of thought of, about suffering in, in two ways. Uh, one way being like a micro level of suffering, another one being a macro level. And when I say that, uh, what I mean is um, when we think of macro suffering, we think of suffering that's kind of out there that happens in the world, right? So think of something like the Holocaust, this unjust act that's happening out there that we don't, we don't personally have any, um, it's not affecting us personally, but it, it's evil, it's suffering that has affected people. Uh, we think about things like natural disasters, about sickness, things that are out there that happen that people will often look to to say, if God is good, then how can something like the Holocaust happen? Um, so that's one way to look at it. Uh, so that's, that's the macro level. We're not going to talk as much about that today, although I have a few thoughts to address that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about suffering on a micro level, on an individual level, suffering that you and I might face, or suffering that our coworkers or our friends might face. And the reason I want to um, kind of approach it from that angle is because um, as individuals, especially as people that have grown up um, that are in the church, often when we see people who uh, begin doubting God and leaving the faith, it's not so much because of philosophical arguments against God's goodness. Often it's a personal experience, something difficult that happened in their life. And that experience triggers doubt that leads to perhaps a walking away from the church, a walking away from the faith. And then we use kind of those macro things to then, um, as justification, we'll look at all these other things that happen too. Um, and I think it, it can be similar for those who uh, wouldn't call themselves, uh, themselves believers, um, looking at something that happened in their own life that triggers a frustration or an anger or a disbelief in God. And so I really want to approach suffering from that level because I think that's where we're all beginning. I think approaching it from that level is going to help us um, engage in conversation with those around us who are going through suffering. Um, and I really hope that this, is, uh, this time is an encouragement to us. Um, because like I said, right now we're either suffering, um, some of us might be suffering, others of us might be preparing for some kind of suffering. Um, and so I want us, I want us to um, go through this talk and come out encouraged with a deeper faith in who God is, his goodness, and the hope that we have in the midst of suffering. Um, all right, any questions before we get started? 
Awesome. Okay, so the, the, the lens I want to approach this through is through John 11. So we've been preaching through, the, through John. Um, John 11 was our Easter Sunday passage when we saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. The reason I want to approach it from this level is because we see Jesus in the midst of suffering. Um, so if you have your Bible, you're, feel free to open through John 11. I'm going to talk through the story a little bit, offer some commentary um, throughout, and then we're going to make some, uh, we're going to hit some points at the end, uh, some kind of some takeaway points, and then I want to open it up for some conversation if we have time. Also, one other, um, one other thing, um, the book we're going, we've been going through, Confronting Christianity, um, if you don't own the book, this chapter in the book about suffering, I think, is worth the price of the whole book. Um, as I was doing some work last night, I said to Kelsey, I wish I could just sit up here and read the chapter to you um, because it was such a good, encouraging chapter. So confronting Christianity, if you don't own the book, I would highly recommend buying it just for chapter 11 of the book about suffering. So <clears throat> Jesus in John 11. Jesus has been traveling uh, with his disciples. Uh, we see uh, the scene kind of comes up and we find out that one of his good friends, Lazarus, is sick. Um, he's ill. Uh, Jesus loves him. He's close to Lazarus and Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. So Jesus um, is in a town a few days away. Uh, Martha is worried about Lazarus. He's sick. He's ill. It looks like he might die. So she sends a messenger to Jesus to let him know Lazarus is ill. Now, Jesus, we've seen Jesus who heals, right? He takes care of people. He's been healing the blind, healing the lame, healing the sick. Rather than immediately leaving to come to Lazarus at that point in time, we see John say something like, uh, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, so he stays where he is for two more days. That seems odd, right? Jesus, who has the power not only to heal, but he even has the power to heal from a distance. So if you remember in John 4, uh, Jesus healed uh, a, a man's son from like miles and miles away. So we recognize Jesus, being the Son of God, has the power to heal his friend Lazarus. But he decides to stick um, where he is and stay there for a few days. Now, it's an interesting thing to think about because um, imagine Martha in a, in a situation like this. We can probably put ourselves in her shoes. Um, she calls for Jesus. She knows that Jesus can help, and yet he doesn't come. Have we ever felt that before in the midst of difficulty or suffering where we call out for Jesus, but yet it seems like he doesn't come? He waits. We've experienced, we've probably experienced that from time to time. We're praying. We're doing everything we can um, to uh, put, our, put our trust in him, put our hope in him, to, crying out and calling out to him. But it seems like he's not there. It seems like he's waiting. We have to recognize that that's often one of the difficult parts of suffering, right? Um, it's when we send for Jesus and he doesn't come. Um, it's when he doesn't heal he doesn't make things better. He doesn't fix it. Or so it seems that way. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, if you've read any of his um, books, you'll know that at one point he was married a little bit later, um, and a few years after that his wife passed away. Um, and he writes about this and the grief that he went through after his wife passed away. Um, and he says something that I thought that, that really um, hit home with me. Um, he says this, 
Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but, so this is what God's really like. C.S. Lewis is saying that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the loss of his wife, he's not fearing a disbelief in God himself. He's fearing a belief that God is not good, um, that, that, he is, um, that he doesn't care about our suffering. And this is where being a Christian can actually add a layer to our suffering, right? It's one thing um, we know, no matter who you are, whether you're a believer or not a believer, suffering is difficult. Um, it's painful. Um, but the extra layer we have as followers of Christ is that we believe that God is actually sovereign over these things. We believe that he is good, that he cares about us. And when we go through something like hurt and suffering, it seems like there's a God out there who can do something, and yet he's not doing anything about it. That's what we have to reckon with. Have you, has anyone ever felt that way before in the midst of your suffering? Yeah, yeah. It, it can be a difficult very difficult thing and a very hopeless thing and a very lonely thing at times. Well, let's get back to our story with Lazarus. So Jesus does end up coming to see Mary and Martha. By that time, Lazarus is in the tomb. He's been in the tomb for four days, so he is dead. He is absolutely dead. Now, Martha knows that if Jesus would have just been there, that Jesus had the power to heal him, right? She's seen him heal many, many people. And so when Jesus gets there, uh, Martha says something like this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So it's really interesting that uh, Martha's admitting that, Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But then she takes it a step further to say, um, but whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She has this faith or belief that even though Lazarus is dead, there might still be something that Jesus can do about it, right? Um, we see, so we see that, that faith that Martha has. Um, but rather than doing something there on the spot, Jesus says this. He says, your brother will rise again. Now, um, that phrase is deep with meaning. Um, so Martha knows, uh, she, she's a good Jew. She's been following Jesus. She knows the teaching about um, life and death. Um, and she responds, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So they knew that at some point, all, all their bodies would rise again on the last day to be with God. Um, she had an understanding of that. But you almost, as you read in between the lines a little bit there, you can almost hear her saying, Jesus, I know that he'll rise again someday, but what about now? What about right now? I love my brother, and I don't want him to be gone. I know that he'll rise again someday, but what about now? Um, uh, the author of this book, um, she writes a little bit about, about this, um, and she says this about Martha. She says, in this moment, Martha stands where many Christians stand when faced with suffering. We have ultimate promises. One day Jesus will return and put the world to rights. But we are much more like children than philosophers. Our pain is real and urgent. It refuses to be soothed by faraway hope. Neat theological answers will not do. 
but neither are they all Christianity offers. Can you empathize with that, um, with that kind of what she's communicating there, that there's times where we know the right answers, right? We know that ultimately there is a hope, but it doesn't always make us feel better right then and there, right? The neat theological answers that she's talking about, we know that God is sovereign. We know that all things work together for, for good for those who believe, right? We know those things, but they still don't always comfort us in our suffering. So after Martha responds this way, um, Jesus responds, not by, still not by doing something, but by saying something. And in his words, he's kind of um, changing the game a little bit. Um, he's reframing the, the problem uh, for Martha. <laughs> Jesus responds with this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So we see that Jesus is saying to Martha, although that she <coughs> desperately wants her brother Lazarus back, that her greatest need is not Lazarus, but her greatest need is Christ. Jesus is speaking about himself being resurrection and being life. And so the solution to her problem is not raising Lazarus from the dead. The solution to her problem is Jesus Christ himself, who is life. Now we can understand um, as humans that sometimes we have to endure pain to get to something good, right? We see this on um, less important levels, uh, like in athletics. Uh, if you're an athlete, you're enduring pain so you can you know, fight for the championship trophy or whatever it might be. Um, we see this sometimes with um, if you're a parent and you remember taking your children perhaps to the doctor to uh, get their vaccines. They go through an immense amount of pain, but we know it's for their good, right? Um, as I was thinking about this, I remember uh, a, this was a vivid memory from uh, the time I lived with the Hearst. So I lived with uh, the Hearst for about a year when I first moved to Philly. And um, I remember Ellie must have been playing outside, and she got a splinter. Um, and so you know, like, when you're a four-year-old child, uh, getting a splinter and then trying to extract the splinter is, like, the worst experience of your life up until that point, right? Even as a 28-year-old, it's still, like, one of the worst experiences of life. I hate it. Um, so I can remember Ellie getting a splinter. And, of course, you can't, you can't let that piece of wood stay in a child's finger. It's going to get infected, and it's going to lead to more hurt, um, something worse down the road, right? So I remember Josh must have taken, you know, he sits Ellie down on his lap, and he must have taken some tweezers or something like that. And everything is, like, you know, okay until you start trying to, like, grab the splinter, and then it's just wailing and gnashing of teeth from the child, right? <laughs> Um, so I can remember Ellie just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, so I can just remember Ellie like writhing around in pain and Josh trying to hold her tight and take it out. Um, and from Ellie's point of view, like at that moment, her, her dad, Josh, is not like her friend at that point in time, right? But from, from an adult point of view, from Josh's point of view, he's trying to um, he's trying to take his daughter through pain so that she might be saved from something that would be worse, right? And it was just such a vivid picture of what God does to us sometimes, right? There are times when we go through something that is so difficult, and we do not understand why we're going through it. 
We are wailing out to God in pain. But God, like a good father, holds us in his lap. And he loves us. And he cares for us. And he's extract, he might be extracting something. He might be bringing us through something. But we know and we can trust that what he's doing is for our good. So this is a little bit of what Martha's experiencing, right? She's going through difficulty. She's going through pain. But we know that Jesus is leading, leading her to something that's better than just her brother being alive. It's more important. Well, what is it? Martha, so um, after Jesus says that um, he's the resurrection of life and asks, you know, do you believe this? Martha declares that she does believe in him. She says, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. Um, she believes that he is exactly who he says he is. Um, and then in that moment, um, she believes, and then she actually calls to her sister Mary. So Martha's been the one interacting with Jesus at this time. She calls for Mary to come out, um, and Mary comes out weeping. Um, and she actually says the same thing Martha did earlier. She says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So Mary comes out weeping. Jesus, if you, wouldn't, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then we see something that... Um, in my opinion, is one of the most incredible, powerful things in Scripture. Um, Jesus says, um, John says this about Jesus after he witnesses Mary coming out and weeping. He says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then a few verses later, it says, Jesus wept. So Jesus doesn't approach Mary and Martha um, at a distance, right? Uh, he doesn't come as one unaffected by their sorrow. Um, rather, he meets them in their grief um, to the point of weeping. It's an amazing thing that we see that, first of all, Jesus, he knows everything that's about to happen, right? He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows what's going to happen to Lazarus. But he sees the weeping of those around him, and he's moved by their weeping. So what does that say about us when we are weeping, when we go through suffering, when we go through difficulty. Jesus doesn't look at us from a distance, disconnected from our sorrow and from our weeping. We know that he's actually there with us as we weep. He hurts with us. He feels with us. Um, Jesus, he's a savior. Uh, when we think about um, suffering and we think about sin, um, this death that, that Adam's sin brought into the world, it brought sin and it brought sorrow, right? So sin is, is what separates us from God. We've got a problem there, but it also brings sorrow. Our emotions connected to it. We're now under the curse and we, we struggle, we wrestle through it. Jesus comes to save from both of those things. So in Isaiah 53, um, it's one of the prophecies uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah says this about Jesus. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So Jesus both um, rescues us from our sin, but he also carries our sorrows. He feels our grief with us. I'm going to read a, a little bit of a lengthy quote. Um, I don't normally like reading lots of quotes, but so many of these quotes were so good that I had to share them with you. So um, after uh, thinking about Isaiah 53, the author of our book, um, Rebecca McLaughlin, says this. 
She says, in this prophecy, grief, suffering, and sickness are rolled up together with sin and guilt and loaded onto the Messiah's back. And when Jesus comes, he carries that load. He bears the moral weight of guilt and sin in our place, but he also bears the heartbreak of our suffering. Jesus holds us close as we lament. He weeps with us as we weep. He knows the end of the story when he'll wipe away every tear from our, from our eyes, but this does not stop him from cleaving to us in our pain. In fact, pain is a place of special intimacy with him. And we see this in our own lives. We can laugh with anyone, but we cry with those closest to us. And the bond is strongest when their suffering connects with ours. We recognize that, right? When we connect with someone who's gone through the same thing as us, who's suffered through similar things, or who's suffering through the same thing, the bond we have with them is a special kind of bond. In Jesus, we find the one person who knows all our heartache and all our pain. Left by those closest to him, beaten by strangers, stripped and abused, and hung up on a cross to die, there is no wound of ours he cannot touch. Jesus knows his resurrection is coming, and yet he cries out in his distress. Jesus knows the end of Mary and Martha and Lazarus' story, and yet he weeps. Brothers and sisters, this should be a truth that deeply encourages us in our suffering and in our grief that Jesus is weeping with us. Unlike our friends that perhaps um, have written off God because they see the suffering in the world, and because of that suffering they say that surely God can't exist, there's no hope in that kind of suffering, right? You can construct some kind of meaning for your life, but that meaning is fragile. It's something that you in your own mind, you've made up. Um, in Christ, we've discovered meaning. We've learned that there is a God, that there is a God who cares about us, who weeps with us when we weep, and who is restoring all things. The suffering is not eternal, right? This suffering is temporary. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians. It's one of the, uh, another one of my favorite passages, passages of scripture. Um, he talks about our light momentary affliction. And when you hear that, at first it's insulting, right? Paul says, your affliction, it's light and it's momentary. If somebody were to say that to us in our suffering, we would be, you know, kind of ticked off at that, right? But Paul says the light momentary affliction, it has meaning because it's accomplishing an eternal weight of glory that will be revealed in the last day. So our suffering, God is with us in our suffering, and we know that he's actually doing something in our suffering. He's accomplishing something. We have a hope that our friends who don't believe in Christ a hope that they don't have. All right, I'm getting a little um, off, top, uh, off the trail here. Um, so Jesus is weeping. Um, but of course we know that that's not the end of the story, right? If, if all we saw was weeping, but no restoration, no rescuing, um, no new creation, the story wouldn't be a good story, right? It would be a nice story, but it wouldn't be a good story. Um, <clears throat> so we see that um, after Jesus weeps, he goes into Lazarus's tomb, right? He says, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus rises from the dead. Um, and it begs the question, uh, if Jesus knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead, why did he wait, right? Um, why, why did he weep? Why did he wait? Why did he do all these things? Um, and I think this is a really helpful way of putting it. Um, the author of the book says this, uh, the space between Lazarus's death 
and Jesus calling him out of the tomb is the space in which Martha sees Jesus for who he really is, her very life. So um, Jesus is not a means to an end for Martha. Um, He's not merely the one who's going to get her brother out of the grave. He tells her and shows her that he's the end, right? That he is life, that he is what she's looking for. Um, That while there is some hope in his power to, to raise Lazarus from the dead, the true lasting hope is in him who will never be defeated by death. We know, of course, Jesus goes on to die and then to rise again and to stay alive. Lazarus, he dies and he stays dead. Jesus, he dies, comes back to life and stays alive. He is the true hope for Martha and Mary in their suffering. And I think it's important um, to see that suffering for Martha um, is something, uh, you know, we don't, we don't know Martha super well in the scriptures, but we, we can see this interaction with Jesus as an entry point into a relationship with him, right? So we find Jesus, we come to Jesus in different ways. And often one of the ways we come to Jesus is through our suffering. It's when we've lost all hope in anything else that this life has to offer. And we recognize that the only hope we have is in Christ. And that's why, um, that's why we're talking about this, this topic in this class um, is that we actually think that suffer, as we suffer, it's a, it's, a, it's a strong, compelling reason to believe in Jesus. Um, although God is good and there's difficult questions surrounding that, we know that we have a good Savior um, and we have a reason to believe. There's a, there's a compelling reason for me to say, you should believe in Jesus Christ because here's what he offers in the face of adversity and in the face of suffering. It's... it's um, Yeah, it's a big reason why this question comes up in in this topic. Uh, We meet God in a special way in our suffering that we don't experience in times of joy. So, um, we, I don't know, I don't know if anyone's been through a situation like that. I know I have where, um, you know, we, we, we want to go through times of joy, right? Um, We're, even as believers, we are joyful people, um, but sometimes we experience God in a different way in our suffering that we might not have experienced um, in our joy. Uh, sometimes things are stripped away from us, and we recognize that there's nothing in and of ourselves that can offer us any hope. Sometimes loved ones are stripped away from us, um, and we recognize that our hope ultimately can't be in those around us. Ultimately, our hope is in Christ himself. And sometimes it, it takes the difficult things like we were talking about, the splinter being taken out, to recognize that. So I want to leave, uh, I just want to go through a couple um, kind of summary thoughts, um, and then I want to open it up for some questions and some discussion. Um, so, and I'm not going to go through, I'm going to kind of pick the, the best here. Um, so like we said, God is with us in our suffering, right? Just as Jesus wept with Mary and Martha, he weeps with us in our pain. Um, for those of you that are going through difficulty right now, um, that are going through suffering, my prayer is that you would feel this, that Jesus is weeping with you in your suffering. Um, sometimes things don't feel better, and we don't have the promise of everything being completely resolved here on earth, right? We may go through life and go through pain, and we may not see the reason that God had for it, but we do trust that God is good, 
that he is accomplishing something and that he weeps with us, that he um, feels that pain with us in our suffering. Um, we know that God knows what we need um, for our good. So just like, like we said, just like a father taking a, a splinter out of his child's finger, God cares for us by bringing us through suffering. And the trajectory of that suffering is ultimately for our good, right? Um, and ultimately for his glory. And ultimately, um, suffering leads us to Christ. Um, so there's uh, a lot of, like I said, this doesn't, this leaves a lot of questions unanswered, right? There's, there's questions about, you know, how, do, how does this thing happen? How did evil get into the world um, as it is? How, how, do, how do we reconcile all these things? And we have to admit that there is some mystery here. That I cannot offer you a smoking gun answer for every single question about God and suffering. It just doesn't exist. We know certain principles about God, but there's an element of mystery here that God has yet to reveal to us. That we, we yeah, God has is, God is yet to reveal that to us. Um, but we're left with a hope in Christ similar to that of um, Peter's. I think Brian, um, in the sermon, he actually quoted it last, last week, but one of my favorite parts of scripture is when the disciples are faced with something difficult, and suddenly we see all these, like, hundreds of people that were following Jesus, they start walking away from Jesus, and Jesus turns to the twelve and says, will you also leave me? And Peter says to him, Jesus, where else can we go? You have the words of life. And I think God calls us to a similar um, posture, and that is we may not understand everything. We may, we may not be able to put every single puzzle piece together, but the question at the end of the day is, where else can we go? Jesus and Jesus alone has the eternal words of life, and we trust that um, what he's done on the cross is... Uh, is setting, uh, setting the course of the world to make all things right to a day when suffering will no longer exist. We read a little bit that he'll wipe away every tear that we have. That's the trajectory that Jesus has set us on. And we've suffered now, um, and we will continue to suffer until that day. Uh, but we know that Jesus is making all things new. Um, there will be a day when suffering is no more. And one other really important point to remember in this is not only does Jesus weep with us in our suffering, but as we look at the scriptures, we see that God is not one un, um, unaffected by pain and by suffering, right? And we see that at the cross. Um, at the cross, which was God's plan from the beginning, um, the cross was not plan B. The suffering of Christ, that was God's plan from the beginning of time. And we see that God himself subjects himself to suffering so that he can rescue us from our suffering. So God is not one who looks at our suffering from a distance and doesn't know what it's like. We have a God that, has, um, that is weeping with us in our suffering and who has experienced pain and suffering um, just like we do, and in, in a much greater way. He's taken the whole sin of the whole world on his shoulders, um, and he's experienced suffering in that way. So that's... Um, I want to I wanna leave it there, and I want to open it up for um, questions, comments, um, difficulties. Uh, any, any questions, anything that's kind of out there a little confusing? Yes. 
Um, so there's, um, I'll open it up for other thoughts, but I think one, one really important point there is we, uh, God knows all, all of us in, in this room, I don't know, I, I can't say for certain if any of you are believers, right? Um, and we trust that God, God and God alone knows the hearts of people. Um, that's a question that I... I wish, I wish there was an answer to say, I'm going to say this and it's going to make someone feel uh, immediately better ab- about that situation. I think obviously in your, in your case, there's hope because um, you saw the way she served. And Martha, um, if we compare someone to Martha, Martha was certainly a follower of Jesus Christ. And we see that in the way that she served. So I think there's hope there. Um, but we trust that um, God and God alone knows the heart. Um, and we see that the way, um, the way people come to Christ um, may not be one that's loud um, and uh, super out front and on stage for everyone to hear, um, but we see that even, even a thief on the cross who had lived his whole life contrary to God, who, had, who recognized his need for a Savior, even that thief would be with Christ in paradise. Um, so I think there's some hope there, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult thing and one that I don't know that there's a, um, like we said, that, that uh, silver bullet, that magic bullet that, that heals and um, clears up all kind of confusion. Yeah. Tom? Um, the biggest challenge to anyone witnessing to my wife, one of the things anyway, her parents were Jewish. Mm-hmm. So I think somebody said to her one time, Christ, they won't live in eternity, and that really upsets her. Hmm. So what you say to someone that their loved ones aren't believers, it's it's a stumbling block. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. But that's my parents. How could how could they? Really, it's it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've uh, I've had this conversation a few times. Um, outwork with some people they look at um we look at people that we love and we all have people that we love that don't know christ um and we know what the bible teaches um about um christ and eternity um and we believe that god is um good but that he's also just um and that um 
it's through Christ and Christ alone that that those come to to Jesus. I don't have. I mean, Tom, I I wish I had a good answer for you. Um, there is no answer. It's just the, it's just a stumbling block. Yeah. Because most people say, Karen always says to me, like, oh, you know, this it doesn't matter what they believe. They're good people. They do mm-hmm. this. They do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, we know biblically that's not right. But mm-hmm. people see people that are living life that are, you know, that are against God's words and mm-hmm. commandments and because they do good deeds, well that makes them a good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's a very frustrating yeah. thing. Yeah. And one thing, um, yeah, that is frustrating. I'm gonna walk back one thing I just said. It's not um, I think there is there's a, a the the good answer or the right answer is God is just and good in, in what he does. Um, it may not sound good, um, but we trust that that's the truth of the Bible. John 